listening to Power Producers Shop Talk, where we are refining and redefining the sales game by equipping you with the tools you need to differentiate yourself in the marketplace. Tactical skills that will help you provide deliverable value to your clients and prospects. Here, these are conversations that will differentiate you from your competition. Now, if you don't want to be different than your competition, probably should just go ahead and shut this off. And action items that you can provide to take your prospects and clients to the next level. Like when we audit the mod and get and do the mod master and and give them the actionable items that they can that they can do in order to lower their cost of risk. This is Power Producers Shop Talk. Production redefined. Reasonable and what wasn't. And and I think that you know, that's, that's spot on. And, you know, these people that we're talking with don't necessarily understand what their exposures are and what they can even do about them, um, you know, when they're uncovered. So I, I do like that what we're able to provide is something tangible, action items that they can do. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to Power Producers Shop Talk, episode number 23. Ooh. 23 his airness i like it we should do a caricature of the flying jordan for this episode hell yeah so true story um one of my clients of the past owned this massive distribution company that um distributed high-end shampoos and hair care products definitely would have been your best friend (laughs) But this guy, like, he found the loophole, right, around Paul Mitchell and Purology and all of these things because you're supposed – you're not supposed to, at least you didn't used to be, that you should be able to get that product in big box stores. It was reserved for salons. Right, right. But the way the contract read, that only applied um, if the product originated in the U.S. Like, it couldn't come from a U.S. distributor – to another place in the US. So what this guy would do is he would have it shipped to like Bolivia or someplace like that and then import it so that he was not in violation of the agreement that all these high-end shampoos had with their different salons and stuff. But anyhow, a completely different story for a different day. This guy, like I'm in his office and he's like got all of this Michael Jordan stuff everywhere. And I'm in the call, I'm in a meeting with him and his phone rings and he's like, I don't interrupt meetings for uh, anybody except this guy. And he picks up the phone oh, yeah, and he's like, yeah, yeah. he's like, hey, Mike, what's up? Like, <laughs> so this dude was huge buddies with Jordan. Yes, right? I remember he, this. And he hangs up the phone and he gets off and he's like, hey, man, um, we're going to have to wrap this up pretty quick. That was that was Mike. Uh, that was I said, Mike. Mike. He, he's like, <laughs> that Mike. Was Mike. <laughs> yeah, he said Michael Jordan. I said, "Oh, you, you and Mike are that tight." He's like, "Yeah." He said he actually called me. He's he's leaving Atlanta, and he's going to drop his plane in Tampa long enough for me to jump on, and we're going to go go down to Argentina for a long weekend of gambling. Sick. And you I'm said like, he, you said he's just got like a go bag ready in his office, like under yeah. his desk, right? Yeah. So he <laughs> so just good. like whips this duffel bag out from underneath <laughs> his desk. It's almost like the gotta go, the, bro. Yeah, it's almost like the bag you prepare when your wife's pregnant that you have for the hospital. Yeah, yeah. This guy had that for Michael Jordan. That's awesome. So, yeah, it was funny. So, anyhow, 
I'm like talking to him and he's like describing the inside of Jordan's G5 or whatever he had. It may have been a G4 at the time. What's one digit amongst G's, right? You know, but anyhow, he's like telling me the inside, the whole inside of the plane is like gold, like not painted gold, no gold. Yeah. Like actual gold filled with yeah. cigars. Like, dude, if I went in there and that guy's got a gold toilet, he's going to be missing a hunk of his toilet when I leave. Like, hey, gold is a very soft metal. And I know that if I find something, I can rip some of the gold from that plane. It would be awesome if I was trying to get a bite out of it. Yeah. Or I'm getting off of his plane and I've got this big hunk of gold shoved down the front of my shirt. (laughs) I'm trying to trying to uh, steal off of Jordan's Uh, plane and I get stopped. That's so good. Good grief. Well, listen, we need to talk about middle market accounts and setting them up right at the beginning. And the last episode was about taking the auditor out. Mm-hmm. The only other person that I think is is as likely or is, is non-likely to be invited to a appointment to onboard an account, unless somebody listens to this and understands it's a good idea, is claims. Okay, yeah. I don't see agencies taking claims people, claims adjusters, VPs of claims, whatever, out to the point of sale, but they should. Okay. There's a whole re- there's a whole litany of re- reasons why. I'll give you several of them today. Let's do it. Yeah. So the first thing is, if you've never written a middle market account, you need to set expectations with that carrier, specifically with the claims department and also your clients, so that everybody's on the same page for what needs to happen in the event that there's going to be a claim. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, th- one of the areas where I think people miss the boat, well, there's there's several, but specifically to how we do business, one of the things that I feel like always needs to be addressed on the front end is how the carrier is going to allow you is the agency to handle indemnity on claims, right? Okay. You don't want to wait until the accounts onboarded bound and everything else to find out that that carrier frowns upon you paying indemnity either by leaving somebody on payroll or, you know, paying out of pocket for the indemnity portion of the claim. Some carriers just aren't cool with it. Um, not necessarily sure. I understand. Yeah, why. I was going to say, what's the like? What what would be the reasoning behind? I don't. That? Know, the only thing I can think of is maybe they feel like if you don't include the full indemnity on the claim, then the mod is not going to accurately reflect the risk. And at some point, if you decide you're not going to pay the indemnity out of pocket, they're not collecting enough premium based off of the okay. mod, and they're going to get hung out to dry. Makes. I, I mean, could, that makes that makes sense. I could see that being a reason why, but right. my job is not to advocate at this point on the carrier's behalf, you know, it's to advocate for my client. Right. And, you know, you ask up front, right? If the carrier says no, then you understand what the answer is. I mean, it's not like there needs to be any animosity around it. It just needs to be addressed. I'm not saying you're going to solve all the world's claims issues by bringing an adjuster to a a new first meeting. But if you're trying to help your client control their mod, and one of the ways you do that is if you have low dollar indemnity claims, having them paid, by your client, whether they leave somebody on payroll or they allow the carrier to handle the claim, get it closed out, and then invoice you for the indemnity portion, which it's, I've seen it handled both ways. 
You just want to have that expectation set on the front end so that everybody knows what they're dealing with. The second issue that I think a lot of people don't pay attention to, because in many cases, they're just happy they get the account. So they, they, you know, everybody focuses so much on getting the deal done. They completely neglect the fact they're going to have to do a lot of work to onboard and service the account the correct way. And, And that piece of it has to do with multiple locations, right? So if I've got a a little restaurant chain that's five locations and they've had some workers' comp issues in the past, I want to set claims up on the front end to where we're able to report and have those coded by the location. I don't want it just being, you know, one big lump sum of claims. And the reason why is because if there had comp issues, one of the things we're going to do is go in there with solutions like Think HR and put them on customized learning tracks where they're able to create the exact training program they want their employees to go through, but also you know, using some of the uh, static content that they have as well and some of the OSHA compliance things. You want know, you to you create accountability to them using those tools and you want to shift that culture to where it's one of accountability as opposed to deniability or making excuses. And one way to do that is have all of the claims reported to the carrier by location and coded as such so that when the loss runs come out and you do all of your premium versus loss summaries and, you know, if you run a magic report by location, you can break out each location's individual responsibility with regard to the overall numbers. And if one of the things you're going to do is put in an incentive program for management, Mm. you know, you don't want to punish in a five location restaurant. You don't want to punish four of them if one of them's the dog, right? You don't, you don't want to have to deal with that. Makes total sense. And so I think that a lot of the time, you know, that's some, I mean, that's an easy wedge for me to drive, right? I can go in and if they're not getting claims broken out by location, that's going to be the question I ask almost immediately after the, how do you measure quality? How do you measure productivity? How do you measure safety? Well, with regard to your safety, when when you do have claims, how are those reported? How do you get that information back? And they don't even really even understand what I'm asking when I ask the question because right. they haven't thought about it. Now, I mean, your larger national accounts that are more sophisticated, they're already going to have this. But I mean, those companies have risk management information systems in place, right? Sure. The other thing you need to pay attention to with regard to claims is you want to, you know, it's depending, it's going to depend on what type of an account that, um, you know, that these people are going after. I just had a dude text me from Killing Commercial from up in Georgia that I, you know, worked with a little bit this morning and yesterday. He had a pretty nice account, about 275000 in premium on a trucking company. And he had, you know, some questions. So we talked a little bit yesterday. And then again, this morning, he had sent me over loss runs and stuff to look at. But we we talked a little bit more this morning and I gave him like nine or 10 bullet points. And he ended up getting the AOR on the meeting Sweet. as a result of that. There we go. But it, it was because of um, this this particular program that he had, that, that this guy has the audio, auto liability on, that the client is on, not this agent. He just got the deal but he has to keep it with the same carrier because it's really the only one at this point that'll write the risk, but they had him on a deductible plan, right? So 
they had a $20,000 liability deductible that they had to collateralize against um, because you have to, you know, collateralize for your claims and all of that. And so when he was asking me wedges, you know, I told him, I said, part of it is has to do with claims, man. I mean, you've got to understand, I don't want to get into the nuances of how collateral rolls from one policy period to the next and how they can increase it based on loss pick. And they won't necessarily release the prior year until a certain period of time has passed and all of that. So it's not one of those things where you're just going to go in and, and, and go into a college level, you know, discussion on on that stuff. But what you can do is you can go in and ask him why he has this one claim that looks like it was opened up and reserved at $10,000 back in July and hasn't closed out yet, still showing up on loss runs, but now is a problem because it's going to be open going into renewal and could affect the collateral requirements Mm -hmm. And it's just one of those things where, you know, he, this, this guy honestly had never thought of that. And it's not that he's a bad agent. It's just, it's something that was new to him because he hasn't been involved in a live in a deductible program on a, on a third party coverage like auto liability before. So if you have that conversation on the front end with the adjuster, Hey, obviously we're taking a deductible on this. Let's talk a little bit about how you determine what the collateral requirements are when does that collateral come back to me? Does any of it roll over? Will I have to repost a letter of credit or a security deposit next year? How does all of that stuff work? And then you don't lose your account to a guy on an agent of record letter because he does go in and talk about that stuff. That's one of the biggest things. And I mean, again, it's probably a rarer circumstance than the other two things that I talked about. But the rare ones like that are the ones that are really going to come back and bite you in the rear end if you're not careful. Sure. And, you know, that's something that you can kind of set yourself apart from other people with, because like you said, I mean, there's there's not too many people that are that are doing that on the front end. I wonder if it and you may or may not have the answer for this, but if it's more effective to take, you know, take an adjuster out to a situation where there is a little bit of hair on the account or if it's better the other way where it's pretty clean just to kind of show them, okay, you know, yeah, you've been you guys been good for however long and that's all that's all well and good, but you know, here, here's what would happen if there is a claim. I'm, I'm wondering if, if there's a, um, you know, a scenario where it's more impactful in your opinion. Well, yeah, I know it's definitely going to be the people who have hair on it. And what I like to do is I like to take the loss runs and let the adjuster review the claims in the notes in real time. Right. I think that a lot of times agents fall short because they, they stop with the loss runs. Well, loss runs half the time are garbage. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't have days of the week, time, accurate detail is absent a lot of times. Yeah. I mean, there's some companies out there that do a really good job with it. Most True. don't. Right. And, you know, you can't necessarily throw off on the insurance carriers for that because it might just be that the company calling that, you know, the, the insured who's calling it in has no formal process for mm-hmm. documenting claims and getting it's the probably information. Probably a little bit of both. But yeah. Yeah. So, you know, but I like, I want to let them look at that. But I mean, if you're an agent out there and you want to take it to the next level, you should always request adjuster's notes on open claims too. And that's going to give you a far greater level of detail than what you're ever going to get by just looking at loss runs. I mean, Amtrust has been knocked around a little bit by people in terms of their experience with them. We've had nothing but good experience with Amtrust. We've had great a great relationship with them. 
and I'll tell you, man, one of the things I like about it is I can go get the adjuster's notes, the notes on any payments that have been dispersed and all of that stuff directly on their website inside of the, the files for that particular claim on the website. I don't ever have to wonder what's going on with that, that account. Mm-hmm. I think it's awesome. But you know, if you don't ask, if they don't have it available on the, on the website and you don't ask for it, you don't even really know what's going on in the background with this stuff. You need to be able to have an educated uh, discussion with an underwriter. And the only way to do that is to get the, the in, in your client for that matter, is to get the notes from the adjusters. Some right. carriers won't give them to you. They think it's a legal liability if they give them to you. Hmm. So I typically just have conversations with them and make my notes based on what they're telling me. If I can't get the adjuster's notes, I'll get them to tell me what their thoughts are and then I'll jot them down. And I guess that's okay. Whatever. I mean, uh, well, where's, I, I don't know. Don't even try and figure it out. Okay. Yeah. You're, I see the wheel spinning and I have no answer for you. So <laughs> you might as well not waste any energy on, on trying to figure it out. But I mean, Fair enough. again, if you have the claims people come out, it gives them a very good opportunity. Again, I also think there's a psychology involved with showing your client that claims adjusters are human. You know, yeah. too many times the relationship becomes adversarial and it right. doesn't need to be. You know, everybody's working on the same team. And, you know, I hear it all the time where a claims adjuster recommends that a claim be settled even though the insured thinks it should be litigated. And if you build, start building that rapport on the front end, you know, even just having that adjuster say, look, our philosophy on settling claims is this. We want mm-hmm. you to know that on the front end. Mm-hmm. You know what? Great. I appreciate it. I've got clients that will say, you know what? I don't even get upset about it anymore. It's a cost. It's a business decision at this point. I understand why we settled for 10,000. It would have cost them 30,000 to fight it. And we may have lost and owed even more money. Mm-hmm. I'm good with it. Just, tell them to do what they need to do and call it a day. I think your point though is, is true. And it, and it happens a lot where, you know, as far as the adversarial aspect of things, I mean, there's, there's times where people think that the insurance company or, you know, or the adjusters or whatever, just kind of out to get them. And that's not the case you know, they want a healthy account just as much as you want your, um, you know, your loss runs to be clean. So it's, it's, it's something that, I, I think that's a good point you make about getting them involved on the front end to set those expectations. I mean, hey, look, it, it goes back to that pretty much every time with every topic that we're talking about is setting expectations. If you do it right on the front end, you're going to have a much better outcome uh, in the long run. Yeah, and I think the other thing that agents need to be thinking about is how claims are settled, right? How that money is allocated. Because this goes back into that discussion that we were having before about how an, uh, an insurance company is going to let you handle the indemnity portion of a claim. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that we need to be cognizant of is the, that, in, you know, if there's a payout, like a lump sum settlement paid, that is more than likely going to be filed in the indemnity portion of the claim. So if you have a client that is out there and they're constantly reimbursing indemnity, reimbursing indemnity for like, 20 weeks. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden the carrier decides, well, we're going to settle this for a $50,000 lump sum payout for a permanent partial disability. Guess what? That goes on the indemnity and all that money that your client spent to try and keep the medical only portion of it inside of the split point is gone. Mm-hmm. 
So that's another thing to contemplate. I mean, as you're looking at these things, even if it's a situation where you have come to an agreement for how indemnity is going to be handled, every single claim has its own shape and size. And so you can't put yourself in a position where, you know, on a, on a claim like the one I just mentioned, you just automatically go into indemnity reimbursement mode. At that point, you'd be better off just going ahead and letting it ride and let, let the carrier take care of the whole thing. Right. All right, man. Claims have been beat to death. That's a good, that's a good foundational, um, you know, reason to bring people out at the point of sale or on the onboarding meeting. We got one more we're going to talk about in the next episode. Lost control. Sweet. Let's do it. Later. You've been listening to Power Producers Shop Talk. You can follow us at the Power Producers Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And if you want to take your game to the next level, check out our commercial insurance training course at killingcommercial.com or visit Amazon to pick up a copy of our international best-selling book, The Extra Two Minutes.